0: Welcome back to Reel It In, the show where we talk about stuff and how we feel about it. Uh, my name is Joe Messina. I'm here in Boston, and uh, there's two other guys here as well, but not right here.
1: I'm neither all here nor all there at
0: the moment. I slept till 1130, and it's I,
1: that shouldn't happen. I'm Dan Sapin. So I was yesterday anyway. Uh, I'm here in Long Island.
2: What is that riddle? Who's the- there or not here or not there, but keeps going or something. It's the clock. It's time. Yeah. I think we're heading in a direction here. Yeah. So this is Martin Hallberg calling in from Stockholm, Sweden,
0: time after time. Yeah. Um, so we are going to, uh, give another attempt at our new, new kind of format this week, um, this month. Uh, and um just kind of you know say what's been going on and see where that leads that seems to be where we thrive so uh the 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 one who did not really get to uh do that before we dove in last time was martin so martin how was your week oh thanks guys um yeah how was my
2: week um it's been a good week. It's been, um, in many, to many extents, like a normal week. I've done my internship at the psych- psychiatric clinic. And so there's a lot of kind of reflections around that whole thing. Um, I also started winter swimming again, which, Dan, you've tasted a few of those um, cold minutes when you were over here visiting. The season has started, the snow is up. So I have introduced or inaugurated the winter bathing. Um, But yeah, I guess what's on my mind is a, a few different things. Like one is that I have been quite involved with reading some stuff about unconscious fantasy, actually. Like the Kleinian concepts of unconscious fantasy and how fantasies underpin everything we do. Um, it reminds me a bit of the episode we did called the dreamers that we did last summer where we talked about like mental imagery and how our capacity to think up stuff uh, can be both very constructive, creative, but also the opposite. So I've been quite involved in that because of this association in neuropsychoanalysis that I'm involved in. Um, So that's one kind of track that, you know, it's on my mind. Another one is, um, is the concept of uh, of time? Yeah, um, been listening to this Miles Davis cover of Time After Time, so just started thinking about time and and Father Time, the figure Father Time from Chronos. Uh, so I didn't actually know that there was this mythological kind of symbolic figure of Father Time, Mother Nature's compatriot or you know partner. So that's another track. Um, And I guess the third track would be this weird article I read in Neuroscience News about how they had found that what they call neurotypical people, as opposed to people on the autism spectrum, uh, these so-called neurotypical people would have a greater inclination to separate separate, um, body and mind or thought from body. And they had reached this conclusion by asking different questions like, what do you think will happen to the body, to to you after you die? For example, will the thought remain? Will your body remain? Will both remain? So by asking these kind of questions, they would infer that that people on the autism spectrum, to a greater degree, had a kind of monistic approach of where where body and mind were felt to be more integrated and holistically as one, as opposed to neurotypical people who had a more Cartesian kind of split between. You know, the thoughts or your soul can live on after life. Your body decomposes and goes away, but but your kind of soul could live on. So I don't know how to integrate these three things uh, of time, unconscious fantasy, and autism. Monism. But those are three kind of things that I've run into this week. Uh, and uh, yeah, other than that, it's cold over here. It's dark. Uh, the winter has really begun um so i think most swedes are kind of hatching now they're they're going into their little hibernation modes and i mean you know this- I knew there was something different in-
1: about you swedes you hatch yeah I was trying
2: to get a handle on what felt a little different over, over there no, not but even it, mammals. this mammals. winter depression is a thing over here you know like i've never really suffered a lot from that but i know quite a few people they really do it's like uh yeah, it's almost like a bipolar. You know, like you could set set the clock after it. Like you could set a timing. You know, come come real winter. You know, Mister X, Y, and Z, they will be depressed for three months, and it keeps coming back. I don't think that's in the DSM. Like maybe it is. Do you know that? Anyhow, I'll pass it on. Like to to you. Do you explain how you how was your week? All right. Well, you know, everything you
1: said just has perfectly summed up my week. It was a pretty good week in some respects. I was very, I was really grumpy in the first half of the week. It started last Sunday, which tends to happen on Sundays, um, no matter what's happening on Monday. Uh, And then I was just feeling off. And um, I realized I hadn't exercised for a while. Um, The last time I boxed really or trained seriously was like a month ago. And I realized, okay, so there's a little withdrawal here. You know, the exercise is that, that beautiful chemical factory. It's fun. It keeps you in shape, but it you know, keeps keeps your mind and body happy. Um, and then somewhere around, what was it? It was Thursday morning. I woke up feeling, all right, all right, I'm back. You know, I'm in the groove now. And I was trying to think of what happened. And I I, had, I saw him shrink later that day. You know, it was this, this cool uh, Jungian dude. In the movie version, he's played by Michael Caine, and I'm played by Chris Hemsworth. So you see just how my unconscious fantasies are are a little out of touch. Um, we kind of landed on the idea that um, I did two really important things, um, just in terms of giving my my uh, my life a focus lately, which is I had the trip to Europe. Saw you and uh and and went up north, and that was really cool, and it meant something to me. And I had this charity boxing match, and um, they really kind of kept me focused. I did have one notion that might fit into some of what we've been mentioning today, which was um I had started to read that book, How to Change Your Mind, by Michael Pollan, uh about the whole psychedelic movement and the integration into therapy. Um, and while I was thinking about it, I had a pretty vivid memory of, um, how a couple of my mushroom experiences felt. And one of them included this really powerful, happy feeling that it's kind of cool to be awake, that it doesn't make a whole lot of intuitive sense, you know, that the ashes and dust um should suddenly wake up and start commenting on things and you know worrying about itself and thinking itself is the center of the universe and it felt really kind of euphoric that um you get to walk around and participate in this creation whether there was a creator or not that was what spurred it actually it was a vigorous argument online uh you know one of these really angry opinionated uh flame festivals on some article about mysticism and uh, it sort of spurred the thought that I don't care about the true and false part of it it just felt amazing that we get to walk around participate have these experiences connect to people and that we take that for granted a lot of the time and that came on the day when my grumpiness went away it was like i was pushing towards something and then since then i've just kind of been in orbit around that reading uh that book and uh sort of holding my breath until our talk today so that's been my week
0: nice messina ah uh, well speaking of uh uh seasonal depression um my Mine hasn't been as bad as uh, some other years the, this this time around, but it is getting pretty gray uh, here in Boston. And um, that's the worst of it for me. The, uh, the last few few years, and part of it's the pandemic, but also just the type of life and, and work I've had in Boston has not required me to be outside that much in the winter. So the cold doesn't bother me that much, but yeah, it's that, that grayness and, and lack of sun really, uh, does it to you. Um, I have, um, here at home too. I have the sun lamp. I'm sure those are popular in, uh, Scandinavia. I was Um, thinking you were living on the sun. It was a little (laughs) intense. Yes. Um, I have one at work too that I keep going most of the day. Um, yeah, the well, so that the mind-body thing uh, speaks to me in certain ways because uh, I had, and I think I talked about this much earlier on on the show, um, where I overcame a lot of the uh, limitations of fibromyalgia a few years ago using mind-body techniques, largely those of John Sarno. Um, and uh, it was um, pretty pretty incredible, uh, at first at least. It, it really, um, I went from unable to get out of bed um, back to uh, working, you know, four or five days a week. And now I'm working a full-time job. Um, but somewhere along the way, it, I lost the, uh, it lost its effectiveness. There's like diminishing returns with this stuff. Um, and, uh, physical exercises the same way. Um, you know, I've been much more able to do physical exercise. I had a yoga, um, Routine that was working really well for me. I still do a lot of the stretches to maintain, um, my, uh, pain management, but the, uh, but it hit a wall and <clears throat> I stopped being able to progress to higher levels of it. Um, because it was too much, but the lower levels aren't doing as much anymore. So I've just found myself in more of like a, uh, ping ponging, um, uh, chronic pain situation than I thought I would when these things like worked miraculously at first. Uh, but that's cool. Uh, so, yeah, I
2: don't know if I'm making this too complex here, but I had an intuition somehow that, you know, we had that kind of mind body could either be conceived of as a dualism or as a monistic unity right? Depending on how you look at it. And it's like a, conceive of it as a continuum, I guess. On one pole of the continuum, you would have views that sees them as completely integrated one thing, whatever thing it is. On the other spectrum or at the other pole, it would be a view that they are separate things, you know, housed in the same kind of house or something. Uh, that would then be interesting to correlate to these notions of time where you have one one notion of time, which is the passing of time. I guess the Kronos, uh, Dan, the Greek god of Kronos, where you know the, the regular time as days are passing and months are passing, that would be contrasted with the experience of time when you're, for example, doing yoga, like you said, Joe, or you're doing some stretches where you're really there in the moment. You're living that moment of time As an experience, you know, it's not just something that's being kept track of. It is something that you're inside of that moment and it's expanding when you're in that moment of time. It's a different thing of time. At the same time, both of these versions of time are also one, right? So they could be on one side of the continuum. You could have Kairos and Kronos as both being time. On another side of the continuum, you could have Kairos and Kronos as representing different things. So I just thought it'd be interesting if it's possible to talk about that, like mind-body as a continuum being one or two, and Kronos and Kairos as a continuum being one or two. But I don't have any great ideas about it. It was just something that occurred to me when you were speaking there, Joe.
1: I can... um... Pretend that I have important ideas and maybe I'll fake it till I make it. Um, so, one of the things we were talking about, we were trying to separate chronos uh, as in C H R O time and chronos, C R O N. What we're finding in every one of these subjects, every one of these topics, is um, an etymological confusion a confusion of word roots, a confusion or conflation of um, mythological figures and meanings from antiquity, and uh, also a contemporary, sort of a new version of the Cartesian problem of dualism versus monism. And, you know, right on down to the issue of, well, what's, Going on with Joe as our 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 medical subject today, um, and what is it? What is fibromyalgia, and how do you get out of it? And there there are some powerful links here, I, I, I believe. And even let's include Martin your interest in uh, Melanie Klein and fantasy. Um, so I'm going to take a step at this first, since you started with Klein and the importance of unconscious fantasy. Um, and for klein this was the she was uh amplifying a point of freud's that he never really developed uh, and that was to use the word fantasy with a ph to denote the uh, in my interpretation my words now uh the kind of primal basic fantasy which is how images arise from the nature and the activity of the body. So fantasy is not so much, you know, I'm I'm thinking, I'm fantasizing about somebody I find really hot. I'm fantasizing about a thing I want to buy, you know, a new toy, um, even if they're one and the same. Um and fantasy ph meaning the kind of the, the basic original images in all the different sensory modes the way in which the the body does its thing the body has a mind aspect to it um which experiences um the world through images in any one of the senses we think of it in terms of visual but kleinian fantasy with a ph um cuts across all the senses you know so that what a body with a big brain does it doesn't just digest it doesn't just get sexually aroused it doesn't just get angry or you know have 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 aggression it evokes an image of aggression or of something sexually satisfying or of the food that is going to satisfy it or you know to depending on how deep into the mythological Logical mind you go fantasy ph is what evokes images of gods images of perfection images that satisfy um the that satisfy the human nature in our flesh in some sort of ideal way um you notice that almost every one of the actual gods is, is like the perfect expression but the epitome of some aspect of who we are i mean we're imperfect but in fantasy, we give birth to these mythological images. And, you know, if, if you, you have a little Jungian, Carl Jung leaning, then you have what we call archetypal images, which is uh, for Jung, it, it an archetype is a pattern of fantasy, a way in which those images kind of organize what our bodily genetic heritage finds important and putting it into the into a mythological image, a god of some kind. Today, I mean, uh, to me, Marvel Comics, people ask, you know, what's, what's your superhero power? You know, that casual, fun question there is saying, if you were a god, what god would you be? What would you be able to do? You know, what limited aspect of your nature would you be? turn into, you know, an infinite godlike power if you could. People have been asking that question in some form, well, forever. Um, Some people turn it into religion. Some people turn it into, well, you know, Hollywood. Uh, Or Hollywood taps into the the fact that people have been um, in orbit around these fantasy images forever. Um, And I, I think the important thing for our millions of listeners who, you know, we're trying to enlighten, right now is to understand that the difference between fantasy with an F and fantasy with a pH is fantasy is is you thinking about what you want. You know, you could be a daydream it could not just be like trying uh, to imagine consciously, but it's where your mind drifts. And fantasy with a pH is what the body sort of brings up into the into the mental level of things so
2: so we kind of have three we kind of have three sets of pairs that are both pairs and one right you have fantasy with f and fantasy with ph yes You have mind and body Uh and we have chronos and kairos
1: yes uh chronos and chronos i mean kairos chiron is another one um which i don't know i think if i do five i'll die um, but four I can handle maybe um that the Kronos Kronos uh confusion that C H R versus C R, mm. and this goes back to the ancient Greeks. Kronos with a C-H ch is um the 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 god of time mm. uh who actually shifts, the image shifts. It's not a very it's not one specific god, Kronos, as I understand it, but Kronos, C-R-O-N-O, is the embodiment, the god of agriculture. The mm. god of agriculture carried a sickle or a scythe for slicing, you know, yeah. cutting the wheat. But the god of time turned into the grim reaper, who ends our time on Earth and harvests us using the agricultural tools. So, but even there the is Asian also group.
2: Kairos. There's also Kairos, who is yeah I'm another yeah. another aspect of time that is time lived in the moment. It's like mindful time or Eckhart. Tollet time or yes. time. Uh, so it's like time when it feels like it's standing still. Uh, when, you expi- when you live time from a subjective point of view rather than just keeping track of it. Uh, so when Kairos arrive, they speak about in Greek mythology. Kairos is a God that steps in. For example, if you fall in love or if you experience some beautiful uh, music, Or something you know the sensation when you're in the concert and time has a different quality Uh, they would say it's because kairos is there kairos comes to bless the moment so that you can feel the richness of the moment every second that passes uh so i don't know if we can make something of this but there are these three kind of pairs i wonder how it would be for let's say an autistic or you know if we should go that way like somebody who does not experience any split between mind and body that is completely integrated into a kind of monistic way of understanding themselves if they would experience time more always from a subjective point of view like they could never see see from the outside themselves as a as a part of a time uh, elapsing or something they would always Can I be, that for a second? Yeah. yeah go ahead Good. yeah
1: we have, there, there's, there's something going on here, which, you know, if we, we had a, a, you know, our a resident classical scholar, we could maybe be more precise with it. But what I'm kind of blown away by today is how these pairs, all of them involve a confusion between characters. All of them involve characters themselves who are kind of dualistic We're talking about mind-body dualism. We're talking about medicine, as in the mind-body problem and how it impacts diagnosis and treatment, even the understanding of, you know, what's going on inside us. Um, And we all, each of these characters also is associated with a tool that is involved with the sharpening of something, the nailing of an idea or of prey, of quarry, a diagnosis, a disease, a monster. Um, so you have Chiron, who was, I believe, uh, a half centaur, half human, not like Pan, uh, you know, who was more of a goat, but that Chiron also had the function of being a fantastic archer, hunter, musician, an oracle, and a healer. So all of those functions are within the purview of Chiron. Um, And he has aspects of time that in the moment, the hunter can freeze time. He can just stay absolutely still until the moment arises to pierce the heart of that prey. Uh, Because he's the god of hunting, apparently. You have the musician who plays with time. Um, You have the oracle who is a diviner, divination, right? You use the word inaugurate before, Martin. The auger is both a farming tool that pulls the soil up so you can plant something for the future. But to inaugurate is to divine the future. To uh, to auger is to define the future. Um, to inaugurate is to begin a process of something very important, right? And... Um, at the same time, you have the agricultural tool of the sickle, which represents the reaping of what has been sun- what has uh, what has been planted, um, in order to have food in the future. So, the Grim Reaper harvests souls the way a farmer harvests harvests crops, and so here you have the the relation between the present, the lack in the present, and the need in the future, the fulfillment of that need in the future. You have the one who predicts the future, the diviner, the oracle who tells you the truth you need to know in order to get there. Um, and now you bring in the mind-body thing, which is a little a, a little twistier, but it's in there as well, which is that it's in this more Western way of looking at things um, that we see, uh, this is where psychiatrists are often seen as, Oh, you guys are medical doctors. Oh yeah. Cause all you really have is a prescription pad to give. And, well, that's just recent psychiatry, right? Just pills, pills, pills. They kind of help, but maybe, but not really, um, that the doctor of the mind is, has become uh, a very different kind of character. He's lost his powers, uh, in the, in the cultural imagination in recent years. Um, And so when Joe was talking about healing his fibromyalgia, which for a long time, a long time, since um, for for many, many years, fibromyalgia was considered a mental illness, an imaginary fantasy illness in which people are trying to explain their pains and their inability to, to do stuff by evoking this global, holistic, enhanced pain. You know, nobody can point to where the fibromyalgia is. It used to be a garbage diagnosis that would immediately lead to a, a, a referral to a psychiatrist who was fundamentally incapable of doing anything about it, except to give him antidepressants, because obviously it's something about your, you know, uh, helpless and, and, and inadequate mind that has led to the fact that you're you're giving yourself an excuse by complaining about constant pain. And now fibromyalgia is a completely accepted and substantially understood. It's not completely understood, but it is a very real medical ailment that can be, that has all kinds of correlates uh, with pain receptors, with the inflammatory system in the body, with the immune system. Um, And so as usual, we think we know what we're talking about, wait a little bit after you've disenfranchised an entire class of people. And it's like, oops, yeah, yeah, it was something, you know. uh, But, you know, we always are a little less smart than we think we are. And so the fibromyalgia is a very good example of a monistic, a unified mind and body. Um, If you try to separate them, good luck. And now what we have is the article that you gave us, Martin, which... And I like to think of this in terms of reaping and sowing, because the, the philosophers, the mystics, the New Age folks who like to, you know, talk about um, what happens in a, a more uh, sort of mind-body approach. Very, very often, the stuff they are talking about, which gets gets just uh, uh, thrown away as as garbage thought by the mainstream. Turns out to be true. It's as if the people who plant the seeds um, are dismissed as crackpots, but then eventually, whether it's you know extracting some life-saving medicine from one of those um, one one of those mystery plants that an ancient culture used, or whether it's fibromyalgia, where this 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 uh, diagnosis of derision ends up becoming as real as anything else, um, somebody out there takes the chance at treating it like it's real, when you can't point to the exact mechanism by which it works, but they've planted a seed. They have used the auger to till the soil, plant the seed of an insight that gets harvested later on, hopefully not by the grim reaper, because people tend to die when their diagnoses aren't taken seriously, Um, or the medical philosophical culture itself begins to accept uh, the idea, the diagnosis, the reality of the people who are dealing with it. Um, and so you bring in Martin the article um, that shows that neuroatypicals which they and this is one of my problems with the article, uh, both the journalist and uh, since I didn't read the whole article, uh, the the actual study, I read the article about the study. So I'm not sure how much of this was the error on the part of the journalist but they immediately associated neuroatypical with autistic pathology they go straight to well autistic people which is they did not specify autistic they they specified neuroatypicals and neurotypicals um they went for the dsm diagnosis that neuroatypicals conflated with autistic people um and by the way, yes, in one way, they're the same. In, the, in another way, they're really not the same. Autism is a, um, a very weak and flimsy word if you're trying to encompass an entire class of people in it. That neuroatypicals are much more likely from childhood through life to think it's obvious that the mind and body are one thing, that you can't separate them and make sense of it. Neurotypicals, so-called healthy normal people from childhood from Earl from six months they, they they find roots of this at six months um, see the mind and body as being distinct uh, that that the things that help carry you up a hill that help you get this thing from here to here, you know that let you move the soil um, that those things are real but things you can think and feel and imagine are illusions. You may want them, but they're just fantasies, P-H or F. Yeah. They're just products of the mind. Oh, that's all in your head, you know, because your head, what this does isn't real, even though this is responsible for science and mm-hmm. philosophy. Very confused, yeah. all of these smart people. Mm-hmm. So um, just to try to land this, this, this juggernaut, um, the study, first of all, Uh, goes straight for how, isn't it remarkable that neuroatypicals, who have a lot of trouble relating to people and reading emotions and and functioning in the real world, as the article immediately emphasizes, also happen to believe what most of the traditions before the modern post-Cartesian one uh, believes, namely that mind and body have to be unified. Nothing makes sense otherwise. Science now knows that mind and body are one. Medicine, which is supposed to be the enlightened life-saving expression of science, still treats them like they're separate, fundamentally separate. Mental health issues have a totally separate um, and typically lesser degree of coverage in insurance plans than physical illnesses doctors who don't understand what's wrong with you are likely to refer you to a psychiatrist who's going to give you pills that stand a placebo's chance of working and maybe referring to a therapist who often tends to be thought of as a crackpot too, because, well, we're as crazy as our patients, right? Besides, there's a truth to this too, that for any of you out there looking for a therapist, uh, and I'm working against uh, my interests in Martin's right now, but um, that I'm not sure anybody out there has really talked all that much about the fact that no one has ever seen a therapist work except a patient. No one has ever actually supervised our work
2: yeah.
1: group therapy. Yeah. There tends to be, you know, a, a, a senior therapist there in training, but individual therapy, you no know, two way mirrors no recordings, there's only what the therapist writes down or chooses to tell the supervisor. So there's this other thing about the mental health world, which is actually a product of the privacy issue as much as anything else, you know that you can't treat a patient in therapy using the accepted rules and record them or subject their session to somebody else's scrutiny. Um. And so the issue of legitimacy of credibility is is a huge gulf now between what happens in physical medicine and mental medicine and all of this can at least be traced back to confusions between mind body past future the tools that are used time death all of these things end up coming together in a nexus of our mind and body separate are our images fantasies rooted in the body or are they just imaginary
0: yeah could i and, um if i could jump please in. stop me <laughs> somebody um, stop me <laughs> um so well one thing that comes to mind is that this is a uh, a dialectic as as um marx and Engels would put it um thank you yeah and so uh this this relates i promise but uh but that's because that's what that's what dialectical materialism is about is um you know you have these opposing things and and they you know each of those things uh contains the other and you have this sort of push and pull of like which one uh does what and um you know they sort of need each other, but like they, there is, there is an answer to arrive at. Um, and that, uh, that I hadn't really made that connection until now, oddly enough, but, um, but yeah, that's the thing with this, this mind and, and body, uh, separation thing. And of course, those of us who like struggle with our, with our minds, um, are going to, uh, you know, notice more, um, more readily that, that they are connected. Um, Richard Grandmaster J. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I, so that's, so what, yeah, it's, it's like the, yeah. So yeah, the ideas of the mind are not unreal. (laughs) They're, they're just, there's something else. And, you know, Marx would maybe talk about this as say, like, uh, you know, the idea of a, of a, uh, machine is a real thing, but then it doesn't really do anything until you create the machine with labor. Um, but, like, so, yeah, you needed both. Both are real. There, And then, like, there's the, the thing existing in, in life is the way a lot of people think of real. Um, whereas, like, Hegel before Marx would focus more on the idea. Uh, I haven't read a lot of Hegel, but... Um, <laughs> the, um, it's I don't better know. to read
1: Hegel through other people's yeah.
0: ordeals. I, I- I don't know many people who have. Um, but he, where he was more about the idea and it was a little more of this mysticism. And uh that's what Marx rejected in building upon and um you know, creating his own branch of philosophy. Uh and that's what I thought of is this this mysticism thing, because the materialist study of of Marx and socialism has brought me down to earth in a way that I uh, maybe wasn't always uh I I wasn't a, a mystic. I wasn't like a I, I'm not bigly le- like I'm not big into religion or anything, but um uh I was much more interested in the sort of like mystical approach to some of these things before whereas now I I would reject more of it the way Marx does and it's just, it's interesting to have the like serious, you know, neurotypical, um, scientific way of, of, uh, looking at these things as that, like, oh yeah, the mind and body are, are separate. Those are different things. And the, the mind is, is mystical somehow, like, somehow not of the material world. Um, You know i i have uh i watched something recently about the the idea of the the uh mind existing after death somehow and um that's you know to be fair like something we still don't really know um and there are you know people who have studied it more than than any of us have who think it maybe does and and the thing is like even if that even if it does it's not magic like there's there's some way in which um that that the mind would uh if the mind exists still it's not going to go to like the 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 magic heaven realm it's it's you know so the just the, <clears throat> the point i'm trying to get at is is that um uh rejection of of the the mystical um and I also wanted to say something about my experience with therapy uh which is um mixed. Uh I um at least you got the mixed version. Yeah. I have had some like specific successes. Some like very isolated like I I found a good therapist in Philly and I basically went in and was like i get too angry like help me with that please and it took a while but that i was able to fix but it it didn't and not fix but greatly improve. um but i never found that sitting down across from someone i really barely knew (laughs) um even over time you know how, how well did i really know her But, like, I never found that that was, like, answering any big, like, uh, mind-crushing questions for me. Uh, And nor did medications when I finally got on them. I think they did help to an extent. But um, the thing that helped the most with depression and with the, you know, uh, with fibromyalgia and that stuff, too, is um, honestly... Uh, money apropos <laughs> marks, um, you are a
1: realm, uh, <laughs> you are a, a giant like goodie bag of contradictions here, Joe. I'm loving it,
0: yeah. I mean, so, uh, that's the yeah, it's it's um, just the pin on that, yeah. It's it's the job that I have now, as much as it's, I was worried about having to work full time with all of this and and uh, the. The having the routine and having like a, an income that is something to to speak of, at least is what has done the most. There. Yeah. So
2: my mind goes to this. When you said Joe, that like each contain the other one inside them, you know, I started thinking of this yin yang symbol, obviously with the black and the white circles inside of the, and I guess like, yeah, I think my thought running in my head now has something to do with these principles of things being separate and different. These are two kind of principles that exist simultaneously without there necessarily being a third unifying entity. We have the Nobel Weekend in Sweden. This past weekend was a Nobel Prize uh, banquet or some, some things like this whatever they call it like the nobel dinner night you know like the peace prize is in norway but the other prizes are here in stockholm so the physics prize i don't know if you guys have heard of it but there was three physicists one of them american one austrian and some, some one third from somewhere else and they were somehow looking into this quantum entanglement that you know where where particles can uh, affect each other from very far away so they behave similarly, even though they're very, very far away. And there was always this thought, like even from Einstein's days, that there must be like some third variable explaining the interconnection between these two things, right? So if these A and B are interacting or affecting each other. There must be a variable C that is affecting A and B. And somehow, don't ask me how, of course, But somehow, this Nobel Prize, that what they did is that they proved, however the fuck that is possible, that there is no variable C causing this. They were able to prove that A and B are affecting each other just because that's what they do. Right? So, there are things going on without necessarily there being this unified thirdness that explains the entirety of it. So, And I think this is also something we've talked about before when we did the spiral and the episode with Webb about complementarity as a kind of principle. Or no, when we did the Dreamers episode, actually, we talked about Frank Wilczek, the the American physicist, who's also an old Nobel laureate, who, who have this beautiful way of talking about complementarity as basically having two thoughts in your head at the same time, right? That there could be two things that are both, true in their own right, that are not necessarily compatible, right? So you could have within the mental health domain, like a CBT paradigm, like cognitive paradigm that is within itself, it's congruent, it makes sense. You could probably get some evidence of treating patients within that world, right? You could also have a world that is dynamically based, where you look at how, how you treat patients dynamically, they could also report results. So both of these worlds exist simultaneously, uh, but it's not necessarily fruitful to try to combine them or pit them against each other or try to prove that this one is more right than this one, because they both live in like their own kind of discourse. So that's what I take from this. And, And I don't know, like there is that, what is it called? Superposition or something like that's another physics term where where things can can, be like i can go there if you want to because it's it's important but that that's where i think this is kind of heading or like heading but that's that's my two cents of what you guys just spoke about that it brings it to this kind of level of 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 um, things existing simultaneously without there necessarily being a higher order explanation that the actual explanation is that this is how things work so you have separateness and oneness going on both like parallel streams like chronos and kairos or like body and mind or like fantasy particle wave yeah yeah exactly they're like the same they're always somehow um existing coexisting in their differences um yeah yeah particle and wave but but uh, w- like light for example like the more interesting thing is when Light can take on both the wave or a particle, right? Depending so, on how you come at them,
1: like everything. Yeah, you Yeah, exactly.
2: See. Depending on how you come at, it. yeah, there you go. There you go. That's that's the, that's the observation effect. That's the what's missing here. Like, what questions do you ask? What are you looking for? What are the things you you want to to ask the oracle, at Delphi? That's what's important in this whole. Smoothie that we're cooking up, or a fruit salad, or
1: that was beautiful.
2: Yeah, can I Hmm. take a stab at that for a sec? I don't know what you're stabbing, but to go for it,
1: yeah. I'll try to. How about a gentle auger uh, instead of a stab? Um, My uh, playing the, you know, with typical grandiosity, I'm going to play the role of of, of oracle here. Although I can't tell you I'll be any good at it. it. What? My view on this exact topic, Martin, of of this this dynamic dialectical back and forth between paradigms, you know, the certainty that each side—the materialist dualist side—and the uh, you know the supposedly crackpot holistic uh, crystal gazing side, which is a, a horrible stereotype, unfortunately true sometimes—is that we have always few thousand years and for a long time probably as long as we're here we will be continuing to be in a mythological struggle for a dominant story of how reality works and our place in it and that's that in itself is not a great revelation but where i've been going in my reflections on this has been that um the contradictions um the tendency to come down hard with certainty about what you do and derision about what the other side is doing has always been there. It continues. It continues straight in through our profession, the Freudians, the Jungians, the dynamicists and the behaviorists, uh, the existentialists and the Rogerians. And, and, you know, you go back um, to, uh, you know, the Stoics and the the Epicureans, in ancient Greece, uh, you know, the Hegelians uh, and the idealists. Um, that when you talk let, when you talk about uh, quantum entanglement and superposition, the thing that has bugged the best scientists, the best minds. I mean, Einstein. You know, had, I would say wasted. I mean, in terms of his own frustration level, nothing was wasted. Um, could not accept quantum theory okay it just god does not play dice with the universe and i forget who who was who answered him with not only does he play dice he throws them where you can't find them um that we've been wrestling with the profound cognitive dissonance of not just having two ideas in mind that are incompatible but two entire worldviews both of which cannot be true or at least you can't think of at one time of how they could be true, not just the ideas, but the very sort of mental paradigms themselves. So, uh, quantum entanglement, it is a blunt fact that if you took two particles, one of them, uh, here, another one in Andromeda, where it would take millions of years for any intermediary, a third, as you said before, the, the Nobel Prize said there is no C or three, there is no intermediary between the entangled particles. That through some what David Berm, great physicist, uh called in the implicate order, uh I forget the term he used. It was like the kind of the world behind the world in a way, that those particles are linked, that they're actual, that they aren't separated, that there is a background matrix in which the two of them are actually either one thing, that the that the two particles that and they it's not that you know that one of them turns red, the other one turns red. This is mathematical functions of particles. But if the one in the Milky Way on Earth, in I don't know, Boston or Stockholm. Um, you know, has spins, has a quarter spin here. The one in Andromeda that they they knew each other back in the day is in another galaxy. Now that one matches the spin. It happens instantaneously. And just a little bit of physics, whether relativistic or, you know, good old fashioned, ordinary Newtonian, it would take millions and millions of years for them to tell each other what to do, to discuss the choreography. No, but it's instantaneous. At the same time, for anybody who doesn't know what quantum superposition is, and we have quantum computers now that use it, actual machines that are doing better and better computing based on an idea that most of the world thinks is nuts if they even know it exists, which is that the particle in the circuitry, circuitry the way you know it, is in many different states at the exact same time. It is red, and at the same time it is blue, and at the same time it is a cat, and at the same time it is a dog. And it's looking that way, and it's looking that way. It is anything it can be, it is, all at once. Now, yeah, come on, go, go take your medicine. No, um, as a matter of fact, quantum computers work better and better. Your cell phone is based on similar principles. Your TV is based on those principles. That this crazy theory is the basis of almost everything you use to interact with one another uh, when you're not staring each other right in the face every day, and yet people think it's nuts if they are aware of it at all. And so the two worldviews here is that the materialist worldview, the notion of separateness. Let's say that the that the Non-autistic folk in that study see mind and body as two separate things. And they say that there's a thing here and there's a thing here, and it takes time to send a message to tell the thing over there what to do. Um, They're just wrong. I mean, yeah, if you want to, if I want you to have the football in my hand, I have to throw it to you and it takes a second to get there. That's one kind of connection. Another kind is there is either a world or a version of the world or a layer of the world in which time is unnecessary, in which things happen simultaneously, not because you know there is a message being sent between them, but because they are always in contact on another level. There's no separateness between them. And this comes from one of those historically great physicists who did some seriously good work. He wasn't a crackpot. People thought he was for this very idea and one or two others. But um, David Bohm, I guess is the pronunciation, um, came up with a word to describe the aspect of the world that involves simultaneity that involves everything being in a fl- a constant flow. Um, and he called it the real mode, R-H-E-O-M-O-D-E, uh, which basically says that, that like the, the wave world, wave versus particle, you have the world of individual things which have to do something in order to get the other thing to react. And you have the real mode in which everything flows together as one big unity. And that is something our minds can't do much with, at least not without some serious math, which I don't have, but I, people will say they can feel it or I can kind of picture it, but not in any one sense at any one time. Um, that, that flow is necessary for music. It's necessary for empathy. It's necessary for so many things that work in a human being. But um, it's not something you can explain or point to. You can always point to it's, Effects though, um, in psychology, you know, Carl Jung, another um, mystic, uh, supposed said, you know, with derision, talked about the the unis the unus mundus, you know, in Latin, the one world, that the psyche, is, that the collective psyche, um, that enables people to share in the same soil of of life, um, works in that one world. Mm. where you don't have to do this to piss this guy off or you don't have to tell somebody here's a god i've been thinking about what do you think that's one way of on another level we also as parts of the physical world participate in that background world if you want to think of it in which um the notion or the experience of here and there and the time it takes to go between here and there is the illusion. The thing mm. we think is the reality is the illusion that governs our daily lives. And for everybody who thinks that that happens to be just you know insane, crackpot stuff, well, I'm sorry, but again, the science that operates most of the stuff that makes your stuff work is based on that science. How to integrate it into our understanding of our minds and our bodies. Um, that's going to take more work.
2: All right, there it is. Cool. I'm not sure what what we have really laid down here tonight. We'll see what we can. Is it my fault? Not at all. I think it's my fault. If anybody's fault is my fault, I guess from how my week was and all these adjacent or scattered themes. So um, I guess for me at least, I think, yeah, that I idea of what questions you're asking or what needs you're looking to fulfill is kind of paramount for me at least after this talk with you guys that you have these different worlds you have these different operating logics that might or might not be good it depends on what you need them for right so if you start fighting for a specific perspective uh there is a good need, I would guess, to look back to yourself. What is it you're trying to address by going there, so to speak? Why would you, why would you choose, let's say, a cognitive, so cognitive therapeutic model over a dynamic one? You know, like if you have a certain type of question, maybe the cognitive one is good for it. If you have a different kind of question, maybe the dynamic one is good for it. So that would be the way to honor all these multiple kind of discourses, I guess, that they serve different purposes. But I guess it becomes more difficult maybe when we talk about politics and stuff. I'm not sure, but but that's what I was thinking. There's a link. Yeah. There's that's- a link. Can I, can I
1: ask Joe a question on that point? I know you want to wrap up, but I think we can wrap up with a good question. Um, Mm. we have two therapists and at least for also two patients, uh, you and me, but Joe also, Joe, you brought in, uh, what therapy did and didn't do for you and why. And the question I would put to you, not as a therapy question here, but as something to reflect on, um, yes, therapy doesn't always work. It doesn't always work even when you're clear about what you're trying to do and your reasons for doing it. But you said that you discovered that, well, you came in with anger you discovered the thing that most directly made you feel better was money. You are a dialectical materialist in some meaningful sense, but what did you want when you went to therapy? What was your ask? There's a big basic reason to ask what was your ask? Because it's at the heart of exactly what you're talking about here. Right.
0: Hmm. Yeah. What do you think
1: anger did? What do you think lack of money did that therapy couldn't help with?
0: Oh, uh, well, it was, I mean, lack of money was uh, just uh, created a lack of ability to meet my needs, you know, Um, and uh, that, I think is not the whole answer to depression and, and, um, you know, mental illness, but it's a big part of it. Uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, that's, that's a big thing that our, our society is missing is that, uh, oh, why, why these homeless people and the, uh, this, all these, all these people who want, uh, government handouts or whatever. And, and, no one goes like oh people don't have what they need you know <laughs> so um like the oh yeah yeah crime that's what i was thinking like all of those things it's like yeah well that's that's where it stems from is not being able to meet your needs um and i mean anger i is uh i don't know that that's a tough one i don't know if it's the same answer or if it's just kind of something else um uh uh, I don't know. I, I think people struggle with that kind of stuff uh, for the same reasons. So I don't know if it's, uh, yeah, this, this I would have to think about this a bit, but, uh, but yeah, the way, the auxiliary question. Now I
1: know what's wrong with Joe. He's in a time lag. (laughs) Yeah. You just had uh, one of your glitches, uh, right? I was thinking that wasn't Zoom. That was Joe. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's the problem. Um, You you have an inherent Zoom glitch. I was going to ask, what happens to anger when you don't have the power you get from money? And what happens to depression when money doesn't help it? Because I think those questions come to the heart of what exactly is therapy supposed to do? What do therapists think they can do? And what are patients? And we're all patients. Patient means sufferer. What do we actually want as opposed to what it is reasonable to ask? It's reasonable to ask a doctor. Please cure my infection. Please unblock my heart. You know. Please, you know, inject something so that my toe doesn't hurt. Um, but frustration, um, feelings of ineffectiveness in your life, um, uh, difficulty connecting because people see things differently than you do, uh, differently from the way you do. Um, those things are, are they diseases? Are they curable? Or are they aspects of how we exist and how we can, our our wants, needs,
2: how our fantasies, and the reality? Yeah, exactly. Um, Fantasies. I want to come in here, if I may. Um, Because I think this is interesting now. Like, I'm starting to understand why I ask these questions. And why I talked so much, because this is where we were heading. Yeah, well, at least for me, I think, like, I've been occupied, like, for a while about this idea of how... Uh, what is the freudian term i can't remember when you when you conflate things so that instead of solving a problem where you can solve it you try to solve it somewhere else right so there is a term for this but i can't re- displacement know. yeah displacement yeah exactly so for example let's say you you feel like you're out of shape and you want to get fit and you try to do that by writing academic articles or something because it takes like a It takes a precision to write an academic article. uh, So you somehow make that into a metaphor for the precision you're looking for in terms of of getting in shape. So you conflate the different discourses, most likely, I guess, not consciously, but from a way of fantasy, like some of these unconscious fantasies that structures your psyche, you know, you have a tendency to do these kind of conflations or maybe some people do at least so that there is a way of, of deflecting what's actually the real work that needs to be done. So, for example, if you're out of money, you know, one would need to get money, right? That would be like the logical kind of thing. But instead of getting money, perhaps one do something else. Like I go down to the X. bar and I drink beer, for example. I like to drink beer. Uh, so that, that would be like... <laughs> A very non-effective, that's actually not a good example. A better example would be instead of getting money, I go to therapy, for example, right? So I try to deal with my, I'm not saying now, Joe, that this is exactly the case for you, but hearing you guys talk about it inspired me to think about this. So, and I think this is where it comes in with this discourses that they can exist many kind of plausible thoughts that are valid at the same time. Right, that we just talked about, that the cognitive world makes sense for some things and the dynamic world makes sense for some things, right? So there is not like a, a, a definite answer. Uh, so this, this comes back to that whole thing of fantasy somehow blocking a possibility to be in the real world, like to whatever we mean with that, like we're all to various degrees more or less reality tested or reality adapted or whatever, you know, some people are better or worse than others, but there's always a distortion. There's always like a gap, like Dan was saying between, you know, the reality you want to perceive and the reality as it would look to somebody else or to some objective beholder of some sort. Uh, so I think this really, yeah, this is what it comes down to for me that, that the way you ask the question, is very influenced by the unconscious fantasies you have. Like I think a lot of people are not aware of how these conflations are being made. They keep doing that over and over again, like defense mechanisms, because they are structured that way. It comes from somewhere. You know, It's a symptom that arose in a specific family, in a specific context, in a specific time, and is a unique kind of uh, enneagram or a unique kind of pictogram or whatever they call it of every individual, uh, how you you try to live in the world with these kind of defenses. So, yeah, I guess this was a long-windy way of saying that what questions you ask is highly structured by your unconscious fantasy, which I guess in turn goes back to that kind of mind-body relationship, like how is every individual structured along that, Axis, Like, do they take their needs as mental constructs, that abstractions that they can solve in their head? Or do they understand them as bodily needs that needs a material kind of correlate? You know, it needs a body to hug or uh, food to put in your mouth or something. You know, Martin, by
1: framing it that way, by putting mm-hmm. it on the question itself, even the most legitimate important question of all, Whatever that question happens to be, you know, not just the, you know, the primitive confusions of the unconscious mind, but you know, the, the cliche, the, the true and great cliche of the week, which was Jung saying that uh, you know, until you make the unconscious conscious, it yeah. will rule your decisions and you will call it fate, or yeah. you will call it or you will blame it on the system, um, yeah. depending on how you frame it, that it doesn't just apply to, you know, the, the primitive stuff It applies to how you ask the most important questions of all. Yeah. That until you can figure out how those questions reflect Came about. your demand that the world works, mm. you're not going to like the answer or you're not going to understand it.
2: Yeah. Cool. So you guys helped me do that, I guess. You guys helped me understand why I wanted to talk about the stuff I wanted to talk about. So it was like unveiling some of my own not not understood blind spots or whatever so then
0: yeah. and I just threw stuff at the wall until Martin was like oh I know what I was thinking <laughs> <laughs> exactly. now we can start the episode yeah
2: yeah,
1: uh, and that's why I prefer to do that than part science
2: this is a yeah. lot more fun Yeah. And so this was kind of like a backward warp of some kind but yeah alright maybe it's time to wrap this one up yeah uh, yeah Fine. i'm sorry (laughs) all right cool so we'll see you guys next time